The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Fast Money starts right now. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders tonight, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Steve Grasso. Coming up on Fast, a barrage of big-name earnings hitting the street. will break down all the major movers straight ahead. Plus, the Nasdaq closing in on going positive for the year. But is this titanic tech turnaround headed for a giant iceberg? And later, what a baby, a bonus, and Beverly Hills have to do with Elon Musk today? Stick around to find out. But first, we have an earnings alert on Disney, the stock bouncing off after hours lows. The company just made a major announcement about its dividend. Let's get straight to Julia Borson with the details. Julia. That's right. Uh, Disney CFO Christine McCarthy just announcing that Disney will be suspending the payment of its dividend in the first half of the year, which they say will preserve around $1.6 billion in cash. Now, this comes as the company announces that COVID-19 cost Disney $1.4 billion to its bottom line in the quarter. That includes a hit to advertising, movie delays, and of course, most of all, the closure of Disney's parks. Now, the Disney parks alone had an operating income loss of $1 billion in the quarter due to COVID, driving a 58% drop in operating income. Now, here's what the new CEO, Bob Chapek, says about the plan that he just announced to reopen Shanghai, uh, Disney Shanghai on May 11th. Take a listen. The approach we take may include implementation of guest capacity and density control measures as well as health and prevention procedures that comply with state and federal guidelines. We are seeing encouraging signs of a gradual return to some semblance of normalcy in China. The company talking about how before it began to close its domestic parks in mid-March, they had been seeing an increase in both guest attendance and guest spending. A lot of talk about how the Disney brand is strong, and they do believe that people will return both to parks and to theaters once things open up again. But certainly a dramatic hit from the impact of COVID. Back over to you. Any mention yet so far on the conference call, Julia, about strategic investments and other cost cuts? Well, uh, you know, it, strategic investments in terms of where they're they're making their bets right now, Melissa, they're talking a lot about the focus on streaming, the better than expected growth of Disney Plus, the success of their investment in original content for Hulu. And then, of course, the odd man out there in the streaming department is ESPN Plus because there hasn't been any live sports for weeks and weeks now, um, though they did point to that Michael Jordan documentary um, and the sex- success they found there releasing that documentary early. But right now, it really seems like the bright spot is Disney Plus, which is certainly an investment mode right now. Right. Julia, thank you. Julia Borston, unfortunate guy, Dami, that Disney Plus is the bright spot here and Disney Plus is not where it makes money. No. <laughs> and if you listen, and hi, Melms. And if you listen to the great Tom Rogers, who was just on with Sarah and Wilf, You know, he points out some of the headwinds facing Disney over the years to come based on exactly that, Disney+. Plus. Look, the stock, I don't think you're going to see that 79 level, which we saw on March 20th. But we have been talking about over the last couple weeks that that run-up off of the Disney Plus numbers was probably extended to the upside. 
And I'll say it again. You know, I do think you're going to be able to buy this stock cheaper. We've been saying it for a while. Somewhere between 90 and 95 is where you get back in. I mean, the stock's down 54 percent now from the Thanksgiving high. Earnings are down, I think, 63 percent year over year. So the math sort of lines up. Uh, But there's just no real, in my opinion, I just don't see the catalyst to buy the stock right now in this current environment. So I think you wait and you buy it cheaper. And I think you're going to have that opportunity. Already a couple of downgrades going into earnings, one from Moffitt Nathanson, which we've discussed, and the other from Rich Greenfield over at Lightshed Partners. And one point that Rich was bringing up was here in this sort of environment, will Disney have to pull back on strategic investments? So pull back potentially on a growth business that, granted, is not making money yet, but streaming is the bet of the future, Tim. And so I'm wondering how you sort of see this conference call playing out. Oftentimes it is comments on, on spending, <laughs> and in this case maybe cutbacks in spending that could move the stock. Well, what's really fascinating is that what was once an advantage over Netflix that Disney had, some of the strengths in their diversified business are, are really liabilities relative to Netflix. And, and so uh, two companies that probably right now, and if not, you know, 20 minutes ago were the exact same market cap at around $183 billion. Uh, and, you know, Disney's strengths in, in studio and DTC, uh, you know, are really hurting them now as we look for the next couple months. And, and, you know, it is, you know, Netflix was this big uh, cash burn story and Disney's now having to cut the dividend. We didn't think about uh, the balance sheet in Disney ever. Um, this was something that was actually some level of confidence. I like the proactivity on the dividend, but for a lot of investors, I think that's going to send a signal uh, that liquidity was something we never thought about here. And, and all those things about the Disney you know, flywheel and ecosystem, however you want to phrase this, were advantages. Uh, and today they don't look great. I'm a shareholder. Um, I think the market is priced in a lot of pain here. And, and it comes to what multiple you want to put on this company. If you're at a market multiple, uh, this is $110 stock right now. Um, if you think we should be, you know, a slight premium as it has, mm-hmm. um, you can put a bigger number. Suspending the dividend for the rest of the year, I mean, that, that does make you wonder what sort of liquidity issue they might be looking at if things continue the way they are in terms of the shutdown, Karen. But maybe this is just a very conservative move and this is actually the smart thing to do right now. I, I think it is. Did you say dis, dis, uh, suspended for the whole year or for the first half of the year, which is what I thought? They only pay dividend twice a year. Um, so I, I thought that that was just for the first half, which would be, I think, $1.6 billion. But either way, I think it's the right thing for them to do. It is a little scary, as Tim said, for shareholders who have always thought of Disney as just rock solid and never really had to question whether they would have um, any reduction in their dividend. This is a little bit surprising. But I do think they're doing the right thing. I mean, you know, you raise the money when you can, not when you have to. And we didn't ever think of their balance sheet until they did the Fox deal. And it turns out the timing of that was unfortunate um, when the rest of their businesses that they never could have foreseen all correlating mm-hmm. to, to one or to no revenue, I guess, was happening at the same time. I, I think that it, it is getting a premium still in the market. We don't know what their earnings are going to look like. And to me, the question is, when do they return to whatever the new normal is? And what is the new normal for some of their businesses? I don't know. I, I mean, I love the name. I just feel like I agree with Guy. I think we'll get a chance later. To clarify, the board is going to forego the next semi-annual cash dividend. So that they pay twice a year. So the next one will not get paid. And that will result in a $1.6 billion uh, in savings. Grasso, where do you see the stock here? 
There's no way you could talk around the void of 20, over $26 billion in revenue that's absent from the park. So to talk about technicals within the stock, I think, first of all, when you look at the dividend, that's going to be greeted with a screaming sell tomorrow when the liquidity comes back in the marketplace. I think you're going to get a shot, as everyone else said, lower. How much lower can it go? I think we might see $92 tomorrow, so $7 lower than where you're saying it is see it now. I don't think we're going to see that March 18th low of 79 but I think this stock can break 90 and be in the mid-80s, so I would wait, and I would be a buyer of Netflix off of this easily. Well, let's bring in uh, the man who literally wrote the book about Disney, New York Times columnist and CNBC contributor Jim Stewart. Jim, it's always great to speak with you. Uh, hi, what'd you make of the quarter and what'd you make so far of Bob Chapek's performance? Jim? I think that we've lost Jim. We'll try and iron that out. Um, Guy, you agree with Grasso, mid 80s? Yeah, well, I mean, listen, I do absolutely think it could have a $90 print. So mid-80s is not unreasonable, especially if you think the broader market, you know, for whatever reason, we just hang around this S&P 500 level at 50% retracement. But if you think there's a downturn, I think mid-80s is absolutely in the cards. Again, I mean, the last dance crushed, and I know you've been watching the last three Sunday nights, you know, just you're locked (laughs) in for both episodes, for both two-hour episodes, as you should be. And it's clear that Dennis Rodman was the glue. With that said, you know, I'm not hurtling myself back to any of the Disney World openings anytime soon, specifically Shanghai on May 11th, but whenever Disney World or Disneyland reopens. And I don't think I'm alone. And I think that's sort of the point Karen's making. So I I think you're going to have an opportunity lower. In my opinion, lower is around 90 bucks. So I actually missed last weekend's installment because I was doing the Gene Wilder movie marathon, as per your recommendation, Guy. (laughs) But in terms of reopenings, um, Tim, we're getting word here that Shanghai Parks will reopen May 11th. I mean, could we actually see uh, a faster bounce back? I mean, granted, with some masks, social distancing, all those things in place. But maybe we get a better idea of Disney's business sooner than we all think. Right. So 36 percent of the revenue is are their theme parks and their consumer experiences. Uh, the U.S. is clearly the, the lion's share of that. But but Shanghai is very important. Um, and, and, you know, what we're also starting to see, though, the anecdotal kind of news flow out of China is that uh, people are being cautious and, and rightly so. But leaving that aside, um, it's encouraging to hear things getting back to normal. Um, it's encouraging to, to know that the other side of this is not just that Disney Plus is better, uh, but but look at, you know, look at media, uh, uh, you know, look at 28 uh, percent roughly up in their media, 17 percent in their cable. So these are um, at least encouraging numbers in the face of what's a very difficult quarter. Um, I, I think the new normal for Disney uh, means most folks, and I'll listen to the analysts on this, but but that normalized EPS, you have to wait until kind of late 21, uh, if not 22. And I think the market is okay with not pricing Disney at a at a current earnings multiple. Um, but but again, what's that number you put on this? And I think that's uh, how the market will really that will differ between whether you're a bull or a bear. Frankly, Let me underscore there's a lot of leeway that, in there. Tim. Late t- calendar year 2021 or 2022. That's what you're saying, to get a better idea of Disney's 20, 20, normalized uh, 20, earnings. Yeah, I, I think normalized earnings, based upon what we kind of know about what we don't know, yeah. um, is, is probably late 21. Mm-hmm. Wow. 
All right. Um, now let's bring in Jim Stewart of The New York Times. We got him back. Jim, great to speak with you. Yeah, good to be here, even remotely in a rural area. I'm sorry for that connection. But, um, wow, there's a lot to absorb here. Um, <laughs> I had been talking to some Disney executives even before these earnings came out, and they were, as some of you have pointed out, they were leading me right to the balance sheet and saying they are really worried. And they've got, you know, over $80 billion of goodwill, most of it from the Fox acquisition, and they've got $38 billion in debt. They just took out another $6 billion in debt, and now they're suspending the dividend. Um, this really is a cash crisis for them, a liquidity crisis, and I know there's a lot of worry inside the company. So based on your reporting, Jim, and, and given the news tonight about the suspension of, of the next payment of the semiannual dividend, you would say this is a liquidity issue facing Disney at this point or, or will soon be? Yeah, I, I think it is. Um, I mean, I don't see how you can view it in any other context. I mean, I, you know, everybody's pointed out there, I've been a fan of Disney recently. I think they've done a lot of great things. Uh, the brand is great. But they are being, you know, hit, as we now see. Remember, all this, the shutdowns really only came, for the most part, in mid-March. So most of the quarter, you know, they were they were going right along. And you see what a massive impact. It's going to be much bigger this quarter, even if even under the most favorable estimates. And the question is, do they have the strength to get through this? And, again, it's, it's amazing that we're even talking about this, given that it had a legendary balance sheet. But it did decide to take on all that debt and write, add all that goodwill to its balance sheet in the Fox deal, which you know, a lot of people had doubts about even when it happened. But now, through no fault of theirs, of course, the timing looks absolutely horrendous. And I think, yes, they are doing what they can. Good for them. They're raising the, the debt when they can. They're cutting the dividend when they can. They may have to cut it again. The question is, is that enough? But, and that's something investors, I think, are going to be very nervous about. Tim on our panel was just saying that, that perhaps we don't get an idea of what Disney's normalized earnings are until late calendar year 2021 or even 2022. What does a Disney look like under that scenario? In other words, what sorts of cuts, in your view, will they be making first? Where are their priorities? Will it be, for instance, spending on a streaming service that doesn't yet mu- make money but is a bet of the future? How should we look at Disney? Well, I think that's going to be a big problem for them because, you know, in, they were going to head-to-head to head, head to head with Netflix and Amazon, and they have, you know, massive resources. They're spending billions of dollars a year on original programming. And Disney probably never had to spend as much as they did, given their legacy brands, but they were going to have to spend a lot of money to stay in that game. And they're doing great there. The numbers are very impressive. But if they have to pull back on that spending, um, and I think if they very well might, that is going to be very hard for them to compete. That was all, always going to be a, a low-margin business for the foreseeable future because it does require so much investment in right. original programming if you're going to keep up with them. So I, I think they really can't afford to cut there, but they may have no choice. I mean, they've furloughed employees. They've, you know, they've reduced the fixed costs as much as they can, but... Um, I just don't see where they're going to get the cash flow to, to ramp up the kind of investment they really need to do in the Disney Plus uh, area. Jim, thank you so much for your analysis. Always a pleasure speaking with sure, you. Sure, great to chat with you. Jim Stewart of the New York Times. Disney shares in the after-hour session plumbing after-hour session lows down 3.2%. Karen, Jim had mentioned facing a liquidity crisis, which is really, I mean, it's, it, is, uh, it is unbelievable. It is stunning yeah. to put liquidity crisis and Disney in the same sentence when just six months ago it was a completely different story. 
Yeah, we well, right before Fox, but I was just looking while Jim was talking on some Disney bonds, and actually them cutting the dividends is good for the bonds. The less money going out the door, the better. But, I mean, some Disney paper traded down to the mid-'80s during the worst of March and then rallied back all the way up to close to par. I'd be curious where it trades um, after this earnings report. It is astounding, though, that we, we even have the, like you are saying, liquidity crisis at Disney, I mean, they have so many levers to pull, though. I mean, they could issue more debt, and they could, um, they could issue equity. I don't think that's happening at all. Um, but there are a lot of things they can do, and I know cutting corporate overhead, but, but still, they've got to spend. I mean, this is really not the, uh, where Bob Iger thought he would be two months or three months after stepping down at really what was the top of his game. I May mean, still be at the top of his game, just not at the top of... Disney's evolution right now. All right. Well, we are just getting started here on Fast Money. Of course, we'll keep tracking the Disney call. Uh, in the meantime, we got more earnings. Beyond Meat sizzling after a big beat with a fake meat company said in its report that has investors licking their chops. We couldn't resist. Plus, a tale of two gaming stocks, why these two names are moving in opposite directions in the after hours. Stay with us. Fast Money's back in two. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Beyond Meat. Let's get to Aditi Roy with the details. Hey, Aditi, nice to see you. Nice to see you, Melissa. Beyond shares are soaring after its first quarter results showed that its company is selling more product through U.S. retail partners as many restaurants remain shuttered. Beyond Meat says that sales at its U.S. retail partners like Target, Walmart, and Costco were more than double those of U.S. restaurants, nearly 50 million to more than 22 million. That's important to investors who are tracking the pandemic's impact on the company as restaurants struggle and supermarket sales soar. Beyond says that it's sold more products because of an expansion in distribution partners, new products launched, and increased demand at existing retail partners. The company suspended its guidance for 2020 because of COVID-19, but the company's CEO, Ethan Brown, addressed the pandemic during the earnings call. As various regions around the world implemented stay-at-home orders, although we did see a simultaneous boost in sales to retail customers, This was not enough to offset the deterioration of demand in our food service business. Nevertheless, we believe our dual-pronged approach of aggressively expanding availability of Beyond Meat products in both retail and food service outlets served us well and helped to mitigate even more significant COVID-19-related disruptions to our revenues. Some other key points, gross profits spiking 10 million from a year ago to nearly 38 million in Q1 and gross margins rose nearly 27 percent last year to nearly 39 percent in Q1. Another thing, investor Greg Smith of Evolution VC tells me that as the company switches and its focus from the restaurants to the retail, that one challenge will remain managing those margins packaging for retailers than it is for wholesalers. Back to you, Melissa. All right, Aditi, thank you. Aditi Roy on Beyond Meat. Uh, shares are jumping almost 4%. Grasso, where do we go here? We know that 50% approximately of sales are to food services, and that's 
very hard hit and will con continue to be so as long as the shutdown lasts. Right. So schools and restaurants basically are closed to your point. But when you look at this stock, even though after it's jumped, the 200 day moving average is right below one hundred eleven dollars. The stock is up thirty five percent year to date. You couldn't have painted a better environment or scenario with all the other meat producers like Tyson and Sanderson Farms struggling with supply issues and constraints for this one to perform. And it's still below its 200 day moving average. I'd be a seller of this one and a buyer of the other two under, uh, under uh, duress from the meat supply issues. You know what Tyson did say on the conference call, I think that was yesterday. These days seem to just, I don't know, they just melt together. Um, they said that the spike in meat prices will be transient, Tim. So if we are to believe that Beyond Meat is going to, is going to benefit or has benefited from the spike in prices which make its product, the alt-meat product, comparable to real meat, and that's only transient, then maybe this boost is transient as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, what is this, you know, meat, meat as a service? I don't know what we're doing here, but, you know, obviously uh, the, the, the social trends towards um, alternative foods, plant-based foods, is something that I think we're very early on. And, and so I can, I can get into that. I, I, I'd be less uh, excited uh, about what, what's happened in the short run. I do think, uh, you know, we talked about this uh, earlier on our call. Uh, fertilizer prices are moving higher. Uh, there is more demand. Uh, this, some of this could be translated into higher prices. This is good for them. Inflation is good for, for food companies, by the way, just be clear. Um, so, uh, you know, I like that story. I, I just think that the competitive landscape should not allow for the multiple that we have here. And then, obviously, the headwinds on COVID-19 are food service and international growth, which has been a big part of where at least people were expecting the next leg of this story. So um, I'm with Steve. I, I, I would be fading this move, but I wasn't bullish on this company before today. Uh, these numbers were very impressive uh, based upon estimates coming in. I don't think any of you guys are fans of alt, alt meat, the investment. I mean, Karen, can you see value in this? Can you see the trend here? I mean, the trend is there. It's a matter of if you pay for this trend at this valuation. The trend is definitely the trend is definitely there. I actually have 12 college kids living here now, and at least half of them are vegetarian. So it's <laughs> definitely happening. I just feel like it. I mean, a lot of that is priced in. And one more, you know, impossible uh, burger. I saw them signing up a big deal with Kroger's today. So I just think the competitive uh, landscape will be uh, difficult going forward. I just I, I can't get on board with the valuation. But you got to make Karen does not run a boarding house or a college or anything like. And these twelve <laughs> kids are not all hers, although four of them are. Yes. Um, but but guy, it sounds like a nightmare. Thanks by for the clarifying way. that, uh, guy. I don't know if you saw Wendy's shortage of beef. Stiefel did a survey of, of restaurants across the country. Between five and ten percent have chicken only menus. Only chicken at Wendy's. Where's the beef, literally? Which. Well, that's fine with me, by the way, number one. Number two, you know, we had this conversation last night. And I'll say it again. I don't love the product. I mean, without getting into great detail, I think we all understand why. But I said I love the stock, and I still love the stock. And, you know, respectfully, the evolution of the human race is transient as well. But that's been going on for, you know, thousands of years. So, I mean, transient means whatever you want it to mean. The growth with this company is pretty staggering in terms of revenue. And don't discount the fact that they are, they're just starting to get an international footprint as well. So there's going to be growth on the back end of that, coupled with the fact that operating margins were, I think, close to 39 or gross margins, almost 39 percent 
which was significantly better than Wall Street was looking for. So given the short interest, given the fact that most people uh, do not like both the product and the stock, I'll stay in it. And I think it's going to test the all-time high, which I think was 125 or so. But I'm sure if I'm wrong, I'll be quickly corrected on the Twitter. The iron, there is irony, Guy, in you calling the uh, existence of the human race transient on a show called Fast Money. <laughs> I'm sure that was not well, lost I, on anybody you know, but else. It's a word, but by definition. <laughs> I understand that. Coming up, evil, filthy, spitting poison, how a new war of words out of China could impact your money. And later, troubled waters, Norwegian cruise lines getting rocked as it issues a dire warning about its future. We've got the details in Fast Money Returns. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks are rallying today as parts of the nation begin to reopen. The Dow jumping more than 130 points, but check out what's going on at the Nasdaq. The index is now less than 2% away from going positive for the year. So what do we make of today's action, Guy? It's impressive. I mean, in a word, it's impressive. And I know Steve and both Tim, they've been encouraged by the moves and they've been steadfast. You know, I, I get it on one end and I totally don't get it on the other. I mean, so much of the move in many of these chip names has been margin it's been multiple expansion really don't have the commensurate eps or revenue growth to back it up in an environment that really nobody knows where we're going to be a week from now let alone you know you know six months from now or so so i think people are are fast to say we've come out the other side i just don't see that happening and uh i'll stick to my guns here with the s p 500 effectively still at this 50 percent retracement steve Yeah, I, I think I agree with Guy uh, partially there. I, I, I have been bullish on this, but I've been bullish with a certain duration. I think once we get the economy started, restarted again or attempt to, you're going to start to see if there's failures or reinfection rates, hospitalizations, deaths, anything like that. That's going to send the market right back down. Now, I do believe we have a higher floor. But for now, I think you have to buy the market against that $2,800 level, which is that 50% retracement that Guy and I talk about. All right. Well, today's rally comes in the face of rising tensions between the U.S. and China. President Trump promising what he calls a conclusive report showing that the coronavirus outbreak began in China. China's state-run media, though, firing back evil, spitting poison, filthy behavior, propaganda warfare. Those are just some of the words China's media is using to describe the Trump administration. Let's bring in Cleet Willems. He served as deputy director of the National Economic Council in the Trump administration. He's a CNBC contributor as well. Cleet, great to have you with us. Thanks. On this sort of nationalistic 
rhetoric coming from state media reminds me at least of of the depths of the U.S.-China trade war. Are we in for tensions to that degree in your view? I actually think that it could be much worse than that. And uh, what I've been telling people is I see the makings of a Cold War here. And, and I know that's language that makes people uncomfortable. But I'm intentionally being provocative because the last thing I want to see is for us to sleepwalk into this without a clear understanding of what's happening, without a clear understanding of what our strategy is for dealing with it. And, and, I, and I'm worried about that. Um, obviously, I hope that there can be de-escalation. But de-escalation does require uh, both sides uh, to make some, some concessions. And for China's part, I think China does need to come clean, does need to submit to an international investigation. If they have nothing to hide, don't threaten retaliation to everyone who wants to investigate this, whether it's the U.S., the EU, or Australia. Submit to that, and let's get the facts on the table. And then hopefully uh, we can come back to a more sober place. Do you think that's the strategy? During the, the U.S.-China trade war, we understood what the U.S. wanted to extract from China. We went into negotiations thinking, are we going to get an end to, for example, forced technology transfer? In this case, these are potentially retaliatory tariffs in response to China's alleged role in this. I mean, is the negotiating tactic, let us into your lab so we can investigate, and then we'll peel these tariffs back? That, that seems to be... A losing proposition. I mean, the, the likelihood, in my view, of China saying, hey, come on into the Wuhan virus lab to investigate seemed pretty slim. Right. I, I think it's important to disaggregate two things here. Mm -hmm. I think you need to look at what's happening directly in relation to the coronavirus and questions about its origins and then what's happening with respect to broader economic issues with China. And the way that I see it is this. Uh, with respect to the coronavirus, what the U.S. wants is an investigation, and, and that's what it would like to see. And then if the investigation does reveal that China uh, was um, suppressing information, there was a cover-up, that they were spreading propaganda, they may respond to that. But independent of it, there's going to be an assessment of all of these other economic issues with China. And I think given the climate and the animosity towards China, you know, you're going to see a shorter leash. And, and that's where I think tariffs could come into play, which is, you know, when you look at the trade deal right now, I think by and large, China's doing a pretty good job on the structural side of things, on ag and on, on intellectual property. But there are real problems when it comes to the purchases. And I do think that there's going to be a shorter leash on China. And that's where you could see the president decide, OK, you know, maybe I would give him a pass in an ordinary circumstance. But given all the other things going on, I'm not going to do that anymore. And that's how I see tariffs coming into play. You know, the White House was pretty clear last night that it's not looking at punitive measures directly in relation to the coronavirus. Uh, I think the tariff conversation is a separate one, but I do think it's a live one and one, it's one to watch very closely. Cleet, I'm, I'm with you on this one. I think the market's underestimating uh, how quickly this can escalate. But in your opinion, I mean, uh, listen, you know, maybe maybe the, the Trump administration is 100 percent right in their assessment of the situation. But, you know, are we putting gasoline on the fire when we sort of adjudicate it in such a public way? Well, again, I don't know that there's a better answer than transparency here. And I, I think what we know for sure is that information was slow to come out of China um, and I think we want to see that information. And, and I'm not sure how, if China's not willing to do yeah. that on its 
own. It requires it requires an international um, uh, effort, and and I think that's what you see going on. So I, I don't know another way to do it. I hear your point, um, but 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 China hasn't been willing to do it, and I think that that requires a different approach. Cleet, great to have you. Thank you. Thank Cleet you, Williams. Tim, final word, quick. Yeah, I think he, he he's. His view is that the trade agenda is not that much different with COVID than it was before, which should have you believe that each side is trying to decide how much political rope they have to, to be difficult in this environment. It's pretty shocking if you think this administration um, is thinking for the next six months about how they continue to cement their, their place with the American populace. And I, and I think... Um, I think it's risky, but I, 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 I don't disagree. The same things we wanted with China and trade war before are, are very much alive and well, and I think we need to be steadfast. All right, still ahead, crushing it. Activision Blizzard powering higher in the after hours, what the candy crush maker said about the quarter that sent the stock soaring. And later, a dire SOS from Norwegian Cruise Line sinking that stock today. We've got the details and come right back. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on the gaming stocks, EA in the red, while Activision Blizzard moves higher in the after hours. Let's get to Josh Lipton with the details. Josh. So, Melissa, Activision CEO Bobby Kotick was just on CNBC saying that all franchises have seen an increase in users and engagement, but saying it's hard to know, he says, how much of that is from that work-from-home trend versus just having fresh, new, appealing content that's appealing to gamers. Will there be a delay in new releases because of work-from-home? Kotick telling CNBC that content planned to be released this year is still on track, like that next premium release of Call of Duty. As for esports, it isn't being played in front of of live audiences, but they have moved competitions online. There could be, Kotick says, even more interest in those competitions. As you mentioned, EA, a different story. CEO Andrew Wilson there on the call saying they did see rising usage and engagement, a rise in live services, so meaning in-game transactions and subscription services. He called that Apex Legends growing strongly. That's EA's answer to Fortnite. So why is the stock in the red? I caught up with Michael Pachter over at Wedbush. He says EA is growing by what they said they would. Um, but perhaps, Pachter says, investors were simply expecting stronger growth because of that work-from-home trend, especially, Pachter says, given what they just heard from Activision, and they didn't get it with this report. Melissa, back to you. All right, Josh, thank you. We should point out that EA went into this uh, earnings uh, session up 5.6% on the week. Um, Tim, as our senior video game correspondent, having gone to many games and competed yourself, I'm sure. um, What did you make (laughs) of these quarters? Thank you. Well, I think with EA, again, they have a little bit more of a reliance on on their Apex uh, franchise with no new Battlefield coming in until 2021 into 22. Uh, I think the live services is actually a really interesting story. And and interactive TV, interactive gaming uh, is part of the media complex. Um, Interesting to note, if if Disney's numbers were better and they weren't dealing with liquidity, I don't want to go back to that last block, but people are saying they should, you know, they should be buying somebody like this, whereas, you know, Activision, I, I think, is is got a stronger franchise, a stronger pipeline. And I and I think on valuation makes a little bit more sense. I think both of these names um, have come back dramatically and offer relative value to where they were, obviously, a couple of years ago. But at 23 to 25 times, uh, I think these are the right names to own. And, and I wouldn't be running away from either one. I mean, you're stuck at home. You can't go out. What do you do? You play video games, you can play them with your friends, right, Grosso? I mean, I'm sure that's what we're all doing, all four of you guys in your homes, playing video games with each other. My, 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 son, my, my sons are constantly on these, and it's always the Battle Royale games. 
So I would I would go uh, with Activision in a head to head uh, between these two. But this is just another reason to buy Microsoft as well. Those pipes are continuously flooded. And it's just another it's it, it's not an overwhelming revenue producer, but all across the board, I think it's a win-win for cloud. It's a win-win for gaming. What you want to stay away from is Take-Two. Take-Two has not performed because they don't have the same games that people are chasing with Shelter in place. Quick question. Guy versus Karen in a video game duel. Who will win? Guy. <laughs> Karen. Listen, Karen <laughs> me too. can play I vote me Karen. mumbly peg I vote Karen too. I mean, I mean, of course, listen, what a, what a surprise that is. But it put it in the Twitter. You know, quickly, though, you know, Tim talks about Disney buying these. I agree. But the culture of Disney doesn't necessarily line up with games called, you know, Modern Warfare and Call of Duty. With that said, it would have made a lot of sense a couple months ago. Coming up, what Norwegian Cruise Line said about its future that sent that stock into some very rough waters today. But first, a Tesla triple play. What a baby, a bonus with Beverly Hills have to do with Elon Musk today. The details, we come right back. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Tesla driving higher as Elon Musk clinches what could be a massive payday. Phil LeBeau joins us now with the details. Phil. Hey, Melissa, this is all about the market cap of Tesla. If it was averaging at least $100 billion for six months straight, it would be really the key to unlocking a huge bonus for uh, Elon Musk. And that's what's happened. If you take a look at this stock going back to early November, the average market cap now has been over $100 billion for six months straight. So as a result, the bonus for Elon Musk, Elon Musk, excuse me, it's a hefty one. He gets 1.69 million Tesla options at a price of $350. You do the math here, it's north of $700 million is what he would cash in with if he were to buy the stock and immediately turn around and sell it. Also, this brings up the question, well, what's the next milestone? Well, they would have to average a $150 billion market cap, which, by the way, that means the stock would have to average for six months $809 a share. And they would also have to hit one of two other benchmarks, revenue of $3.5 billion, or $35 billion, or excuse me, EBITDA of $3 billion. By the way, there have been people who have said, well, this is the most ridiculous pay package in the world, Melissa. I'm sure you've heard from these people. And, and investors really should be upset about this. If you were an investor and you bought shares of Tesla back when they gave Elon Musk this pay package with these bonus incentives, your stock value has been appreciating very nicely, up 145% since that day. So you can't say as an investor that you have not done well as Elon has done well. It is the ultimate uh, lineup of incentives. And at the same time, Phil, if you bought into it, you bought the whole kit and caboodle, including the CEO pay package. Uh, Phil, thank yeah. you. Phil LeBeau in Chicago. Steve Grasso, um, when those first benchmarks came out, people thought that's crazy. And yet here we are. They hit them. I mean... What, what's next, you, you think? It's, it's bizarre, to your point. And when you look at where we're trading at, I just glanced over, 772-ish is, uh, is last sale post. And when you look at where they raise money, 767, that's a huge barometer for the stock. That's a success and failure uh, ratio there. So you want to trade this stock. You can't invest in it any longer or ever. So you want to look at it through the prism of, 675 to 869, which was the recent high. And right around here, 767 is your bull bear line. Over it, obviously, more bullish on momentum. Well, as the money could be rolling in for Musk, he just listed 
two of his Los Angeles mansions for sale by owner on Zillow. There's one house that's $30 million, the other for a bargain price of $9.5 million. Zillow CEO confirming the listings, tweeting at CNBC, my team tells me this is legit. Elon Musk here to help if you need a hand. Wow. Could this be a big, could this be a boost for Zillow? I mean, I'd love to call up Elon Musk and say, I want to take a look at this house. <laughs> Karen. No. No, no, is that for me? Karen. Oh. oh, was that to me? I'm sorry. I, I mean, yeah, you've got to think he was just, you know, deluged by uh, people wanting to see his house. I'm sure there was plenty of happy Tesla owners, shareholders and owners of the car who would just buy it probably sight unseen. For some reason, I, I think he's just kind of goofing around. I don't know. But he's been known to do some crazy things. Um, just one thing I want to point out about the pay package, though. I think, did shareholders not approve that? I think, um, I don't know that that's binding, but I think they were sort of in favor. So, as you said, you get the whole kit in the kit and caboodle. You get all the ridiculous tweets. Yep. You get the, you know, the mania. You get the whole thing. Yep. But it's not for me. <laughs> Too expensive. Oh, but hold on. There's even more Elon Musk news. <laughs> Elon and Canadian musician Grimes announcing the birth of their baby boy. He wrote on Twitter, mom and baby all good. He also tweeted this unusual photo of the newborn with a tattoo filter on his face, writing, never too young for some ink. As for the baby's name, I have no idea how to pronounce this. So take a look at the bottom of your screen. Some have speculated that it is Ash. Musk, Ash something, Musk. I don't know how they got to that, um, but that's Elon Musk for you. Up next, Norwegian Cruise Line's getting rocked today. What the company said about its future that sent investors overboard. And later, we're gearing up for Lyft earnings. With why options traders are betting the stock could hit the skids when it reports. Stay with us. Welcome back to Fast Money. Take another check on shares of Disney down by about two and a quarter percent. The company saying it would forego its dividend payment uh, for half the year, also reporting 54 and a half million subscribers to Disney Plus. That is up from 50 million reported on April 8th. Moving on, shares in Norwegian cruise lines getting rocked today. The company saying there are substantial doubts about its ability to continue operations. Norwegian says it is looking to raise $2 billion to stave off a potential bankruptcy. The company, by the way, just pricing its 2024 bond, raising $675 million with a coupon of, get this, 12 and a quarter percent. Um, they also raised already $400 million from a private equity firm. So they looking, they look like they have already raised half of the $2 billion that they need. Um, Tim Seymour, where do you stand on some of these cruise lines? Yes. Oh, boy. I, I mean, I, I, I don't think it's time to jump in. Uh, I think, you know, the sinking sector is, is uh, continuing. Like what they told you in their recent liquidity update is that they had a lower liquidity base. I think it was about $1.4 billion, uh, and that they're burning about $225 million a month um, in a zero revenue through September environment. Um, all you know seems like a, a cautious approach, certainly mm -hmm. on their outlook. Um, and and you know it's this is the one of the places where I I just because I've never been on a cruise, um, it's harder for me to see this come back faster. Whereas I expect I will get on a plane. So um, truly giving you a a personal right. view on this, but the liquidity view that they have articulated is difficult. I will go to Steve Grasso then. They say that if they're able to raise $3 billion, they have $3 billion total. They can weather the, weather the storm, so to speak, even if they couldn't sail for another year. Could we possibly find some sort of value here, Steve? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think there's value here. And there's three players that you look at. You have Norwegian, you have Royal Caribbean, you have Carnival. So you want to stick with the branded names of Norwegian and, and uh, Royal. But when you look at value, you have to sort of wait for a little more of this smoke to clear. You're not going to miss it. You're in no danger of missing it. They've been piled on so hard. So to Tim's point, when you actually need where people will jump on a plane when there's therapeutic stuff that comes out for corona, you actually need a vaccine. If a vaccine comes out months from now, there are pe- they have cult followings that are getting on cruise lines. I've been on a cruise line. I happen to enjoy it myself, and I'm a germaphobe, but I would not get back on one until I Whoa. see a vaccine hit. All right. Let's stick with travel here. We're about to learn a lot more about how, how the coronavirus is impacting the rideshare market. Uber and Lyft both report results this week. Lyft kicks things off tomorrow. That stock's down 35% this year. Options traders are betting things are about to get even worse. Mike Coe's got the action. Mike. Yeah, this was an interesting one today. So the options market is implying a move of about 12.5%, which is in line with how much the stock moved the last time they reported earnings. And earlier today, we did see some bullish activity. But as the day progressed and we got news that California was going to be suing both Uber and Lyft, the sentiment definitely turned bearish and puts outweighed calls by about two to one late in the session. The most active options were the weekly 26 strike puts. Over 4,000 of those were trading for about $1.15. At the time that those were purchased, the buyers were expecting the stock to drop by at least 9% by the end of the week. Of course, the stock did actually finish the day weaker. So that strike is not as far out of reach as it was when they first traded. All right. Thanks for that, Mike. Mike Coe. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time on deck. A big sign of the times, what these images out of South Korea could say about the future of America's favorite pastime. Stay with us. Welcome back to Fast Money. Baseball is back, but it's halfway around the world. It is opening day for the Korea Baseball Organization, and things are looking a little different around the ballpark. Players must have their temperature checked twice before the first pitch, and there are no fans allowed but masked pictures of them stretched across the empty bleachers. So that got us thinking, is this going to be MLB's path forward? And if so, you know, one bleacher creature that's ready to go. You guys see that? That's a guy cutout. That's a guy cutout circa 2006, I want to say. Guy? I can't see. Yeah, it's... It's a, it's a wooden, full-size cutout of me that spends its days in the editing room, believe it or not, that exists. So, yes, and I appreciate you bringing it out for the public to see. Ding. I, I think in the future I might have it sit next to me at this desk just to simulate the real fast money. With a mask on. <laughs> With a mask on. Why not? Of course. Why not? Sign of the times, right? Time <laughs> for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour. Korea's given us some great ball players, by the way. Um, anyway, looking forward to that. Uh, Electronic Arts in the after hours weakness, but again, it rallied significantly going into that. I like these numbers. I like the franchise. I love the sector. Steve Grasso. Uh, Steve Eisman came on about a week ago and said he was short treks. I pushed up against it. I didn't see a reason to be short. I said buy it. It's up 25% since then. Lock in profits. Don't be greedy. Nice move there. Karen. Yeah, with this huge NASDAQ run, I feel like I got to hedge some of my exposure there. I'm going to sell some NASDAQ call, QQQ calls tomorrow. Gabe. 
Ski. Pfizer drug, sister. Pfizer PFE. I like this cutout version. Thanks for watching Fast Mad Money starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.